Hey, welcome to another edition of Coaching You Basketball Podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. If I sound exhausted, I am. Wow, what a summer we've had. Uh, from our MBPA camps, top 100 teaching, you know, future MBA coaches, college coaches, to two Coaching You live events, one in Orlando, one in Las Vegas. The speakers we had were absolutely spectacular. Uh, learned so much watching the videos going through our videos which are going to go you know you know on sales streaming videos in another week or so uh, I got better I got better and I don't even have a team to coach how exciting is that but today you're going to get better today starts uh, the last recruiting period for division one coaches head coaches assistant coaches other levels are out there too of course uh, but now you, what you'd see is uh, guys out there just hustling and trying to be out there, trying to be make their programs more competitive by recruiting the best high school players there are in the country. I've been blessed that the person we're going to have as a guest today, David Patrick, associate head coach at TCU, is the best there is in the business. I worked with him at LSU for a year. Uh, life-changing for me. Um, just a superstar. The thing about David that separates him from the rest of the people, A, highly intelligent, B, values relationships, people, and has relationships with people all over the world, all over the world. Opened up the doors to Australia for so many schools, but this guy, uh, he understands the complete business of college basketball. He understands the kids we're coaching nowadays, the young people, the millennials and stuff. Uh, of course, he's the godfather of Ben Simmons, who we had the pleasure of coaching here at LSU, the best player I've ever seen coming out of college to the NBA. So this guy was a dream for me, became a great friend, but what he's going to do today is share with you some of the things that are really important in achieving greatness. Uh, I think you're going to find that why David is a rising star, but soon to be a superstar in college basketball. Enjoy David Patrick. Our friends at Crossover want to help you coach smarter and win more games. They'll cut and tag your game film for you, giving you back interactive shot charts, searchable clips, and advanced statistics in just 12 hours. Stop wasting time in the film room doing all that tedious prep work. Simply log in and start getting powerful analysis straight from your video. Even if you think you already know what these guys are all about, I suggest you take another look. Their new insights, features, create hex spin charts and shooting efficiency reports for you and your opponents. Something you're not going to get with Huddle or anybody else. Get the boys and girls teams on board and you'll both save 10%. Add on football, volleyball, lacrosse, hockey or soccer and your savings go up from there. Sign up at www.crossover.com forward slash coaching you to receive one free game. That's crossover with a K dot com slash coaching you to get one free game it's great to have our our guest today uh, david patrick uh, david and i uh, worked at lsu uh you know for two years ago we we joined forces and uh it was an amazing thing hey uh david david what uh what did what have you found to be uh as an assistant coach if you're an assistant coach doesn't matter if you're one two three uh, what are the most important things 
you you need to be good at if you're saying you know like you mentioned earlier about relationships and obviously that's the key point about recruiting but it's also about coaching your own players but no give, me, give me the most important things in your opinion you know and i and i could be i think the most important i said relationship i think the first and most important thing as an as an assistant is you your best tie better be to your your head coach in your university and 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 it can't be about you or what you're doing or what you do offensively or what you do recruiting wise. I think it's got to be your loyalty needs to be your, to your head coach and, and, and where you're working at. And I, I think a lot of times as, as assistants that can be uh, thrown out the window. Cause, cause I was, I was a young assistant once too. You're always thinking about your, your, your next job or uh, how do I get credit for, 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 for bringing this kid in, or how do I get credit for telling coach to run this out of bounds play? I, I think your most important job is to be loyal uh, to your to, to your coaching university because when you do that, um, two things. I think it, it filters through your staff, and I think it filters through your team, and you have a cohesive unit. So you're going to win games that way. And anytime you're winning games, you're going to get notoriety because you work on a good staff for a good coach at a good program. Um, so, so I, I guess first and foremost, I think that that's the most important part of being loyal uh, to your head coach. I think the second part is, I think as an assistant, you, you, you want to be well-rounded, you know, and, and um, I don't think, I think a lot of assistants want to pigeon that pigeonhole themselves into uh, just being recruiters, you know, and I think when you do that, you, you, you sell yourself short because, Recruiting for us is only, you know, you got to get guys signed in April and you got to get guys signed in November. So what else do you bring to the table as an assistant to help your team win when you got to win games from November to March, Mm. which, 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 which really counts on your resume. You know, you can sign all the guys you want in the world, but if you're not winning, that means, that means nothing. You know, and I think uh, a lot of us, you know, need to continue to evolve and learn, learn, learn the game, watch games, watch playoffs, watch other teams. Um, I think ask questions. Uh, you know, I, you know, my relationship with you, we talk every day and we always talk about basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're, you're one of the best there is, but I, I'm, I'm continually trying to learn, you know, um, yeah, I think that's important. And then, you know, I think, you know, w- watch film. You know, I don't think enough of us as young guys or young assistants uh, watch film and critique uh, critique ourselves or critique, you know, uh, critique your team. You know, this is the best time of year to watch your – like, it's easy to watch games after you lose and, and kind of get on at guys. But, but, like, watch your team now and see what we can do in the offseason to get better. Or how do you get your players better? You know, at, at Power 5 schools, and I, and I strongly believe this, you know, here, in terms of players, you know, we don't always we don't always spend time with our players because we have thirteen managers who go rebound for them and go go work them out. And obviously, we're limited on the two hours that we can do with them in the summer. But there's times that I think, as assistants, that we can spend more time with our guys. You know, I, especially at these Power Five schools, because 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 we have so many more hand, so many more uh, guys in the program that can that can be around them. You know, I thought, I think even me, 
now I need to do a better job of when I was at St. Mary's and Nickel State, I was around the guys more because I didn't have a rebounder. I had to sweep the floor. I had to, you know, pass to them. And I think that allows you to, to, to have a better relationship with your guys. Um, so I think in the system, that's key. Because if I have a great relationship with my players, I can tell my boss, hey, Brendan's had a bad day. Hey, this is what's happened. This is why he's down. I think we're the bridge between player and coach or player and head coach. Um, and to have that bridge, you better have a good relationship with the guys on your team, not just the guys you recruit, because that's what typically happens. You only care about the guys you recruit and the guys that are the, the other 13 guys that are on the team. I spoke at Villa 7 several years ago. Ironically, Bayheim, uh, Brad Stevens, Buzz Williams also spoke at that session out in Portland. And one of the things I really enjoyed, because uh, I had uh, I, my session uh, as opposed to Buzz, you know, they wouldn't let him talk to the women coaches because he uses bad language. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I had I had 50 men and 50 women uh, assistants. And, and I cherished that opportunity. And one of the things I, I tried to talk to them about was as assistants, every one of you in this room wants to be a head coach. Did, is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they did. Okay, now, what have you done to prepare yourself, as you mentioned, to be one? You know, your, your head coach is winning a lot of games, uh, and his resume is good. What are you doing, and are you ready when you get an opportunity to succeed? And so my, my challenge to them was to... Even though uh, whatever program you're in, uh, you know, at, at TCU, you might defend pick and rolls one way. Uh, but that's the way Jamie's been doing it forever, okay? Uh, but you need to, uh, at the same time, uh, you might play against a coach that doesn't pl- defend pick and rolls that way. And so they might switch them or they might uh, ice them and force them down on the wing. So you have to you have to say, how will I defend pick and rolls, how I defend post how post action, how I defend baseline screen. All of these things you have to have the answers for, not to announce to the world, for yourself. And then if I get my chance, what offense am I going to try to run? What am I going to try to do defensively? What am I going to do at crunch time? What? Am, and I basically challenge them on the basketball part of it because many assistants think it's just about recruiting. And mm-hmm. but now all of a sudden you get a job, and now you're you're now all of a sudden recruiting is darn important. But your wins and losses are going to determine how long you stay coaching at that school. And so that is, I think, as you mentioned, the challenge of learning uh, is that you never, uh, you know, our friends at Nike, you're in Nike school, and so are we. Uh, you know, I had a chance to interview Phil Knight a year ago, and he and I asked him how do you keep coming out with in every sport new and better products how, how does how does this innovation keep happening and he says two things number one uh when we finish designing the best you know kobe shoe or lebron shoe or next jordan model he says the leader of that team says what's next mm. and then he says what i say to them all the time in our meetings is there is no finish line. There, no matter how good we do, no matter how much money we bring in in revenue, there's no finish line. 
Every day we have to keep going. And that's that's kind of what I want to say to assistants. There's no finish line for you. There, you're never going to learn enough basketball. I'm watching the playoff games last night. I'm sitting there and I'm learning. And I and I coached 2,500 NBA games. I'm sitting there saying, Brad Stevens is one of the very best X and O coaches. He's getting his ass kicked last night. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel for that guy. But now, you know, he's going to sit down and he's going to make adjustments. And that, you know, and, and Ty Lu, who I've known since he was a rookie player, this guy in the month of March had a losing record. <laughs> wow. Yeah, right? exactly. Had a losing <laughs> record and had LeBron James. And so you're saying, and now all of a sudden they haven't lost a playoff game, 9-0. and That's coaching. And, it's, and you say, well, you know, he's got great players. The easiest thing to do is to coach bad players because they'll do anything you want. You might not win, but it's easy to go. The hardest thing you know, David, is to coach good players because they're going to challenge you every day. Yes, they're going to challenge you, and it comes back to, hey, how was your, how, how was your relationship and how's their respect for you? When, when you have to put them in, in check, you know, and if you have good players and they don't respect you, uh, it, it's hard to get them to, to, to go the way you're trying to get them to go. I mean, I to- totally agree. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastCout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. All right, what I what I want to do is I want to, um, I think this is really critical. Okay, mm-hmm. now you get to a position now when you're at a Power 5 school, like you were at LSU mm-hmm. and at TCU, and now uh, everything's better, everything's bigger, the players that you recruit are better. It's more competitive to recruit and everything. Okay, number one, give me give me what a day looks like for you when you're at home. You know, let's say you have practice or something. What does a day look like from when you get up and when you're going to bed? And then we'll talk about when you're out on the road recruiting, et cetera. Okay, it, it typically my day at at, at at LSU or even TCU, where I'm at at the moment, is my day starts at about. 5:45. I, I, I my alarm goes off. I try to run most days in the mornings um, if I can't. Uh, so I try to get out of the bed after pressing the snooze multiple times by six and get my workout in. Um, and uh, at about six, my day begins, and I call it work because uh, I know it's six o'clock in the morning here. It's nine o'clock in the evening 
over in the South Pacific, which is Australia and New Zealand. And I know it's the afternoon time in Europe. And so while I'm running or walking, I start making calls. And my calls as, a, as an assistant aren't always to recruit. It's just to touch base with with guys that I think can help help me uh, or, or help our program down the track. So my day, I think, from, from a coaching standpoint, starts anytime you're making calls for you for, for your boss or for your for your university. Um, so I, I I do that for about thirty to forty five minutes every every morning or most mornings. Um, and I I I take my kids to school at seven, and I try to get to the office by seven forty five eight o'clock every day. Um, and uh, I get in here, uh, get on my email, um, and, uh, you know, d- depending if we're in season or out season. So right now, if we're in the out of season, I- I'll start looking at the board and seeing uh, what guys have summer class, because we usually put our guys in summer class at 9 o'clock every day. So if I'm, if I'm in here at 8, I make sure our GAs or our, our our, our younger guys on the staff just just making sure our guys are up and heading the class uh, at nine o'clock classes um, and then we usually meet um, every day at ten o'clock as a staff and those meetings can go anywhere from ten minutes to to thirty minutes sometimes an hour and what happened what ha- and without giving away obviously secrets but uh, because I'd love organization I'd love uh, what people do in meetings what what is what Jamie and uh, you guys are discussing so, to organize your staff in that 10 you know, o'clock so meeting. I'll tell you what, typically every day we, with, uh, it starts with any compliance, any, anything we need to know in compliance. And, and that can either be a one second deal, no, or, hey, we have dead period coming up Thursday. You know, it's a quiet period coming up here. We can have guys on campus this time or not. So we try to tick the box on that, on that aspect every day, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not, earth shattering but it, it, it keeps us kind of on on cue um with what we can and can't do you know and, and as it gets closer to june you know that that first topic will be okay june 15th is the first day we can call juniors let's make sure we have our ducks in a row of who we want to call on those days um and from that we'll go you know we'll, we'll touch on academics you know who has any issues or who's missed class which which is rare uh here but uh, you know, you know, we touch on that. That was, that was a we'll really well placed asterisk, <laughs> by the way, uh, not here. Uh, but yeah. go ahead. That, that's an insider for us. Uh, for you the, got uh, it. The, the... <laughs> we'll touch on academics, and then and, you know, and then we'll get into uh, if we're out of season, which is now, we'll get into into recruiting. Uh, you know, who who does coach need to call, or, or or who do we have on campus, or what are we hearing. Um, what transfers may are evolving, so on and so forth. Because I think in this day and age, coach, that 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 recruiting market with with Twitter and Instagram, it evolves like nightly. You don't know who's transferring. Uh, this guy's transferring. This guy's graduating. There's graduate transfers. Like you, you have to be on top of it. Uh, so we try to discuss it daily. And you know, ninety nine percent of the time, we're probably not interested in any of them. But we don't want to leave uh, any stone unturned, so to speak, you know. Um, and then we'll go into, you know, as we're in workouts in the summer, like what are we going to do workout-wise? And so we'll allocate, you know, David, you're in charge of the, the guards and the offense. Here's what I want you to do, do today. 
you know, Coach Ryan Miller, who's on our staff, here's what we're going to do with the bigs. And then, you know, Jamie will take, uh, you know, take over the defense, for instance. So the, our meetings are pretty, pretty regimented, but we, we kind of just want to make sure we're all on the same path, uh, going in the same, same direction. So there's no, you know, there's no, the, there's no mistakes. Um, the one thing we do here that's a little different, like we have practice every day at the same time. Uh, and we lift every day at the same time, just about yearly. So we don't let our guys say, well, I didn't know. Well, you, know, well, you do know because it hasn't changed for 300, you know, 300 straight days, you know, so that the, their, their, their time on the floor and in the weight room is every day, summer or during the season. What what time is that? Out of curiosity, because I remember when I was at UCF, we practiced one one year in the morning, which I loved personally, and best practices I ever saw. And then then we went afternoons, and most teams, many teams, practiced you know two thirty three o'clock in the 30. afternoon. You know we we practice at tw- you know we practice at twelve thirty. So um, a little unique, but I, I actually love it because. Uh, you know they they can get you, you make sure they get up and get their one or two morning classes in the only difference is they got to eat a little early they may have to eat around 11:30 mm-hmm. but you don't you kind of get them fresh and I, when i say fresh is you know if you have them in the evening i've found you know they've either had a they've got a they've had a bad test or something's happened with their girlfriend or, or something's got to them by 3 or 4 o'clock which typically doesn't happen before 12 in the in the afternoon because if we're practicing at 12 30 that means they're at the gym probably at 12 or 11 45 getting get, you know getting taped and ready for practice so we go at 12 30 they're out of here by early in the season you know we're probably in here till you know 2 3 o'clock at the latest and then uh you know then they have their evening if we want to throw them in an evening class they can or they have their afternoon and evening to to study or study and then come back in the night and get extra shots up. It kind of still gives them the day to do what they need to do. And then as coaches, we can, if we need to go out and recruit one evening, we can get on the plane at, at, at four o'clock and, and be somewhere by five or five thirty, or we can, uh, you know, we can drive uh, being, being that we're in Fort Worth uh, and we're in the Dallas Metroplex. We can get around uh, the city pretty easily and get to high school games. Let me ask you this, David. Uh, how long does a practice normally go uh, at different parts of the year? Different part. Yeah, for us, early in the year, Coach, we probably go two, two and a half in the in the first probably right. month of the season. Uh, once game, once once the season hits and we're playing games, uh, anywhere from say an hour forty five to two, if we have multiple days before practice, uh, before game, uh, and then by the time we roll into conference play. Um, when we're playing, you know, pretty pretty much uh, Thursday, Saturday, sometimes Mondays, uh, we'll probably go an hour twenty, you know, because by that point, it's more uh, air on the side of freshness and, and just make sure they're sharp. And Absolutely, so, yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I, how our year uh, works out, and, and as you and I both know, the the college practice is a little bit more daunting on, and longer than, than than the pros, you know. Yeah, and the pros, they just stop when they're tired. No, I'm not yeah. kidding. <laughs> hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. 
Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Hey, back with David Patrick. And uh, David, I think it's so important, you know, when we talk about you and I both <laughs> always are approached by young coaches and say, hey, I want to I wanna be like you. I want to be a, a college coach. I want to be in the NBA. They want to be anywhere except where they are right now. And h- how do I get there? I think it's, you know, and they think that, you know, they, you know, we all woke up on third base. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when they find out how we got there, then all of a sudden, I really don't want to sign up for that. Okay, but I think yours is an incredibly compelling story because... A, of your background of birth, where you were raised, uh, you know, and and I think that just makes the story even more fascinating. Take us back and and talk about where you're from originally, where you spent your youth, etc. Oh, no, for sure, Coach. I I get it all the time, the question of how do I get in your your chair, so to speak. And I I remember, you know, having that question when I decided – you know, to, to be a, to be a college coach. And so, you know, I think a lot of this coach and, and, and you and I are best of friends is it comes through relationships and, and how do you, how do you formulate them? You know? And, and so when you talk about my timeline as a, as a player slash coach, um, you know, it started, I, I was born in Bermuda in, in the North of the Caribbean uh, and basketball was, was, was not played there. Um, and my mother, uh, was Australian and my, my parents separated and I moved with her to Australia at the age of 10. Um, and that's kind of where I picked up the game of basketball. I, I played for a local club called the Melbourne Tigers, who some people may know over here, but that club back then in the late eighties, early nineties had a young man named Andrew Gaze who decided to come over and play in college at Seton Hall. Um, and, I, you know, I at that time, that was the, the player that I saw every day and I tried to emulate. Um, and we watched him from afar playing in college, you know, and he was playing in the Big East. And uh, the story will add up soon, but he was playing in the Big East and I saw him play against a team called Syracuse. And I love the, color, the colors, orange and blue. And... Um, Watched watched Andrew play, and Andrew played for one year. But I always said that man, I wish I could play in college in the Final Four, kind of the way that that he did, because that got shown back back in Australia. And um, my mother 
was very adamant on me getting a college degree. And so um, the one thing I promised her is I'll get my degree, whether it would be in Australia or, or, or in America. At some point, I, I would get my degree. So I stayed in Australia. I just started to develop as a player. Um, and within that club, there was a guy named David Simmons, who is Ben Simmons' father. Uh, David took me under his wing about at the age 12. And he'd take me to practice, or he'd let me shoot around with him. And um, I, did, I, I slowly became better as a player. And uh, I grew as a player, stayed in the same club. Um, and I came over to America with our junior national team in 1992. And uh, toured the country um, and got approached about the possibility of coming to high school to complete my senior year um, in Baton Rouge. And there was a former player at LSU named Eddie Palubinskis, who was the first Australian drafted um, back in the 70s, uh, who had a high school in Baton Rouge and, and, and said, hey, if you'd like to come to high school, we'd love to have you your senior year. Um, so uh, obviously I jumped at the chance because I, I figured back then there was no YouTube, no Twitter, no there, there was, you know, Look at look at newspapers or send VHS sets to try to cassettes to try to get to try to get recruited to college. It was basically impossible to come to college. But I knew, okay, if I came to America and played in high school, I could get seen and get recruited to to, to play in college. And so I I headed over to America to come play at Eddie's high school. And about a month before I was supposed to come to this his school, um, come to find out I couldn't go to school there. And the reason I couldn't go to school there is they knew I was coming from Australia via Bermuda. And this is, but you couldn't play at that school at that point in time. Um, if you weren't, uh, you know, if you were someone of color. And so, um, Eddie did a good job and found me another school where I could go to in Louisiana, which was a school called Chapel Trafton, which is now called Dunham. Um, and that's where I ended up going to high school. And I played there my senior year for a guy named J.P. Piper. And that name will come back here in a second. So I played for J.P. in high school, lived with a great family, which I got adopted by, named the Brantleys, David and Jan Brantley, um, and played my senior year in high school in, in Louisiana. And uh, was All-State and All-American and all the accolades that come with that. Did a, did, did a decent job in high school, and I – I managed to get recruited by that school I talked about earlier named Syracuse. And um, they came in. They, I'll never forget, they lost a Sweet 16 game to Arkansas back in 94. And uh, Coach Bayheim and Coach Fine flew into Baton Rouge to see me see me play uh, and see me work out, I should say, and offered me a scholarship on the, on the spot there. So I went on to go to Syracuse as a freshman, play, um, thought this happened every year we were fortunate and blessed enough to to make it to the national championship where we lost to rick patino in kentucky in 1996 um but what i didn't know was syracuse had snow after september and every year i went on my visit in april and i didn't realize it was so cold and freezing and when you hear my background coming from bermuda and australia being up in the snow as a freshman and not playing the minutes I thought I was supposed to play because I was this all-state guy. I I transferred after my freshman year to uh, back to Louisiana, uh, to Louisiana Lafayette. Or when I was there, USL, 
Um, had had a good career there. Uh, we went to one NCAA tournament, um, and then I went on to play um, in Australia. I hope I'm not dragging this out too long, guys. Um, no, it's great. Okay, uh, I went on after after college to to to. I got my degree, like I promised my mom I would do, and I went back and played in Australia uh, for back then called the Canberra Cannons, which is the top league in Australia. On that team, I then came again. My teammate was Dave Simmons, hmm. and Ben was two years old at the time. And, you know, I played with them for two years. They went bankrupt, but every day there was this ball boy who would wear me out and come rebound for me and sit with me on the bench, and his name was Patty Mills. And uh, or Patrick Mills, as they call him now, with the Spurs. Um, and then I went, went once my team went bankrupt. I went and played in Europe, and uh, I tore my knee, and my career was kind of over in '05. So I played professionally four and a half or five years. Um, so I came back to America, and like all of us thought, I was going to play basketball for my whole life. And I'm 20, 28 years old, uh, married, wondering what the heck am I going to do with my life. And uh, my wife and I moved to New York. She was working in the city. Um, I was going to start working on, on Wall Street, you know, and, and starting on the ground floor up. And all of a sudden, I got a co- call from my high school coach named J.P. Piper, who became the head coach at Nickel State down in Thibodeau, Louisiana, asked me, do you want to coach basketball? And, and initially, my answer was no. I, I I have no interest in it. You know, what's the salary? I can't, the salary was $10,000 and, but we can help your wife get a job. And my initial reaction was no way. You know, I was making that a, a month or a week in some places. So let, so that would have, that just rocked my world. You know, like how, how can you go from making X to making 10 grand? And um, about a month later, my wife, well, she became, we, we, we found out, my wife found out she was pregnant. And uh, we were living in New York. And as you know, Coach, being from the East Coast, we were living in a studio. It cost us an arm and a leg to, to live in per month in, in Hoboken. Mm-hmm. And um, I called Coach. I said, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to need a one-bedroom. You're going to have this baby. I'm going to be working on Wall Street. Who's going to help you out? Well, my wife's from Louisiana. Um and so I called Coach Piper back and said, do you still have that job opportunity for me? And he said, yes, but I only have my third spot, but you got to volunteer now. As no longer 10000 you'll have to volunteer and be my third assistant, and we can still find Cassie work. And so I jumped in, Coach. And I, Except I she's in. pregnant. That's her problem. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's, she's pregnant. I had to get her back. And my main thing was like, how can I get my wife around family while she's pregnant? I'd, I'd saved enough money to where I could have could have worked it out for a year, you know, to not get paid. And the fact that they got my wife a job, I thought, okay, at least I'm in on the road um, trying to learn this college game that, that that we're in. And so I started the ground ground floor up, you know, with, with, with no money. And um, back then, as a third assistant, you you were you weren't only recruiting, you were you know, wiping the floor before practice. You were making sure hotel rooms were forty-two dollars, not you know, not forty-four dollars. You were making sure that the Little Caesars pizza was ready on the bus after the game. I mean, there was there yeah. was there was not not the fanfare that I thought college coaching was about. You know, um, 
but I learned a lot. I did film exchange where back then you had to send VCR tapes to the other school and, and then they'd send your VCR tape back and you do deck to deck recording to, to cut film up to get ready for your scouts. And um, I, I learned a whole lot my first year as an assistant at Nickel State. Um, I had to recruit to a situation where we had signed five Australians my first year there and four of them committed sight unseen because we didn't have a budget for them to come on campus uh, or to come on official visits. And so you had to paint the picture of what your university looked like, uh, what your staff looked like from afar. Uh, we were in Thibodeau, Louisiana, but I had them convinced we were in New Orleans. So, uh, you know, they thought the world of it. They, you know, they just landed in New Orleans and drove two hours to get to Thibodeau. Um, but, you know, I, I think that year at, at, at Nickel State provided me with so much that I learned, you know, from the ground floor up, you know, when I was there a year um, and uh, I was at the final four, like we all do as young coaches. And uh, I met a guy named Randy Bennett at the final four who had just got to St. Mary's. He was there. I think he was there year two. And um, he had just started trying to recruit in Australia. And um, I mentioned to him, I said, hey, I know you're trying to go in Australia. Um, there's a kid who was my ball boy. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. And I know you're recruiting him. His name's Patty Mills. And uh, he said, yeah, we are. How close are you with him? And, you know, I went into how close we are. He did his research and he found out how close I was. And so I ended up after a year out of St. Mary's. And I went as the operations guy, not as the third assistant. So wow. I went from making zero to making $25,000 in the Bay Area. So to me, I thought I hit the jackpot until I got to the Bay Area and realized how expensive it was. Um, so we got in our car and drove with my one-year-old daughter at the time, Bailey, from Thibodeau, Louisiana, to San Francisco, California. And so um, got down there, was the ops guy, did that for a year. And then uh, one of our assistants moved out, moved over to uh, to go to another school, and then I moved on to be the third assistant. And um, from the third assistant, kind of worked my way up, um, and we had a lot of success at St. Mary's. From from from, we got Patrick Mills finally at my second year there. He came in as a freshman. Um, he shattered all records as a freshman. Um, we went to the NCAA tournament, and um, he left and. Back at my club in Melbourne, there was another kid named Matthew Della Vadova, wow. uh, known as Delhi within the NBA. And um, Delhi came through and uh, kind of saw the success Patty had. My relationship with his his people in, in Australia enabled Delhi to come play for us uh, at, at St. Mary's. So we had a pretty good run <laughs> for about six years in Australia. And um, I guess I say that. A lot of my successes come from the ground floor up, but keeping relationships from the people I started from, from day one, you know, and um, after St. Mary's, uh, you know, at St. Mary's, it, recruiting was a part of our deal and our success there, but we did a lot of stuff um, in the Bay Area. The Oakland A's were kind of the baseball team. Billy Bean and Moneyball was, was kind of how the Oakland A's got good. And Coach Bennett, uh, when he took over St. Mary's, they were one in 27 the year he took the job. Jeez. And um, he, he, he was adamant on how do we, how do we become the best without getting the best players 
Um, and how do, can we define a system or set up a system to do that? And so he started a system uh, that we called Hustle Stats. And I, I can't give all the uh, all the secrets away, but it was basically it's basically a way that that we analyzed our players on every possession in practice in the off season uh, to make sure they made the right shots, the right passes, the right defensive plays, every possession or, or any opportunity they touched the ball during practice and in games. And back then it was on Excel sheets, right? And so now it, it's so funny to watch the NBA in college now where we see all these efficiency ratings. Well, we were doing that back in 2007, 2006, uh, before it became in vogue. Um, and that's kind of how St. Mary's evolved and is involved in the, to the, to the, national power it is and so i learned a lot of analytics uh through my time at st mary's that's how they've become a, a power hey david um, when when uh, you went with randy was he playing as much pick and roll as he is now or was he hadn't involved evolved into that now as he is you know now? We, we started off with a kind of a four out the four out offense the, the uh -huh. four out one in that that, yeah. was, that that became in vogue and then when we because we had we had good perimeter guys but we didn't have great ball handlers so we had we had guys that could drive you straight line drive you and make an open three but we didn't have uh, guys that cr could create well with the basketball gotcha uh, when, when we got Patrick Mills um, it really you know we we studied the Spurs and Tony Parker because what people don't know about Patty like he wasn't a great shooter coming into college hmm. and uh, you know he was a blistering uh, guard that could get from A to B in a, in, in a second and, and, and had uh, an array of finishes around the basket, uh, you know, a la Tony Parker. And um, when we got him, we, we, we kind of bastardized the four out one in to put him in pick and roll opportunities, you know, and that kind of kind of morphed itself into how, how we play pick and roll now. We, we changed angles. We, we, we did step up or vertical screens back then, which weren't very common back then. So, and we stole a lot of that stuff from, from what pop does at the, at San Antonio. Um, and then obviously when Patrick left, you get a guy like Della Vadova, who's, who's, who's crafty as they, uh, he's one of the best with his, with his size and lack of speed, but his, his, his ability to use pick and roll in his body, he, he developed the, the, that system even more. At St. Mary's, and so it's kind of, kind of grown into that. So, uh, pick and roll wasn't as common, but it, but it's definitely evolved uh, when we got Patrick in the program. Wow. What did you do from St. Mary's? Because you went into the pros then, right? Yeah. So you know, we we had a we had a a great year. We had Delavadova was a freshman. We had about four or five other Australians and local Bay Area kids. You know, and we. We called it the miracle in Moraga. We got to the Sweet 16, right, and, uh, in 2010. And like all of us young assistants at the time, we always think when we're at mid-majors, man, when we, get to the, when, when we get to the tournament, when we win a game in the tournament, our boss is going to go take UCLA or Cal or Utah or whatever, whatever the case may be. He's going to go take a bigger job so that we can get, say we're at a Power 5 conference and we can get paid like Power five assistants well Co coach Bennett had so much success 
and he had turned down Oregon State in the past. He he had a chance to go to Utah and, and and many other opportunities. Coach coach never left St. Mary's, and so we got to the Sweet Sixteen. We're like, okay, this is the year we're going for sure. Well, he didn't he didn't move, and nor should he have. I mean, he's made that thing into a national name, and so uh, for us as a staff. Uh, we're like, what else can we do? We we, we, we want to move on as assistants to get other jobs. Um, I, the final, the Sweet 16 happened to be in Houston. Um, and Daryl Morey had just got the job at, uh, at, at the, with the Rockets. Well, their assistant GM, who's a close, close friend, uh, Gerson Rosas, um, literally called me out of the blue one day. And he knew that we did analytics and hustle stats at St. Mary's and they were looking for somebody for those that don't know the Rockets. They're very based on, 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 on the analytical system. Um, they needed somebody that had international experience that understood analytics and that could come in and help them in the front office. And he called me, asked me what I have interest. And gosh, when the, in my mind, when the NBA calls you, when you're at St. Mary's at a, at a, at a mid major, you, you, you've got to look at it. And so um, I flew in. Obviously, I, I looked at it and I, and I took the job because I didn't know what else I could, you know, do it, do it St. Mary's as, as an assistant. You know, I wanted something, something else different. You know, after, after five years, I think it was a great change and a great opportunity for me and then opened more doors for me, right? And so I was there two years and um, I think in the front office, I think what, what what people don't know is you're when you're in the front office, it's not like you're around the team. You know, you're around it sometimes, but you're really around trying to trying to, as you know, coach with your with your days in in New York and Detroit. Like you're 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 allowed you're around trying to either get your team better, trade guys, get ready for the draft. Um, so you're not always the guys in the team's friend because they think you're in there trying to either, either cut them or move them. Um, and I felt that disconnect because I like to compete. You know, I, I like being around the guys. I like teaching them. Um, I felt that disconnect uh, some as a, uh, f- f- from my personal standpoint. Um, and so I guess in 2012, uh, Johnny Jones or Coach Jones at the time gets the job at LSU. Um, I'd known Johnny for a long time. as He, he recruited me in high school when he was an assistant at LSU. Um, he knew my background and my family well. Um, and when he got the job, um, you know, asked me what I come on, what I come on board and, uh, I jumped at the opportunity to, to, to move back to, to Louisiana for my wife. And, uh, now I was quote unquote at a power five school. So I'd, I'd reached the pinnacle, I guess, to, to finally get there. Um, and, you know, did that for, for, for four years. And I think we had a, we had a, a really successful journey. You know, I think they were at the near the bottom of the league when we, when we got in there. Um, and I think within two years we were in the, we were in the NIT year two in the NCAA tournament year three. And then obviously year four, probably a game short with, with Ben Simmons and, the, and Antonio Blakeney and Quarterman uh, of, of reaching the NCAA tournament. So, so I was there four years, uh, learned a lot at LSU you know, I, I think our goal was to, to, you know, obviously Kentucky's where they are and they're blue blood and we, we were realistic to where I don't know if we'd ever catch Kentucky, but we wanted to catch Missouri, 
Alabama, Florida. We you know Missouri at that time when Coach Haith was there was finishing second or third in the league. You know, so we thought if we could finish in the top four at LSU, it gets you in the NCAA tournament. You become a national power uh, or national name, and you can compete. And so we were able to do that in about a two or three year span. You know, we, gosh, the year that our year four, even with Ben, our last game, we're, we're playing for first, I think, at Kentucky, yeah. the, the last game of the year. You know, and we, we lost and finished tied for third, you know, but n- no one knows that. Um, so, you know, had a good three or uh, four year stint there. I think, uh, um, got it, had a lot of responsibilities, but not nothing of what I had at Nickel State as an assistant because at this level or at that level, you're, 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 you're recruiting and you're getting ready for games. You're not worrying about hotel rooms, video breakdown, the stuff that's just as important as all as recruiting, but go, the, the guys that do that uh, go sight unseen, you know, and uh, I got a call last year from uh, one of my favorite coaches and Jamie Dixon, who I knew from afar, uh, who was at Pitt and Jamie uh, got a call to, to uh, I guess got brought back home to his alma mater in TCU in the big 12. And he called me to see if I would have interest. And, uh, um, I flew in not knowing a lot about TCU. I just knew they hadn't, hadn't won a lot in my years in coaching. Um, so I was a little skeptical. Um, but uh, flew in to meet Jamie, and we, we, we had a lot of the same uh, philosophical beliefs. Um, saw the, the, the unbelievable transformation of the, the basketball arena, the program, uh, the facilities. Uh, um, got to meet with the athletic director, Chris Del Conte, who's, who's got to be one of the best in the business, um, and saw the vision that they had for this program. And uh, even though you don't want to be part of rebuilds in the second time around, I thought we could rebuild it and change the culture pretty fast uh, with what they had in store here at TCU. And so this is year one. I'm the associate head coach here now. And, uh, gosh, we just, we just came off winning the NIT in year one. And so um, it's, it's been a good journey, a, a lot a, a lot of wins, uh, but not an easy one to kind of get where I am at, the, at this point in time. You know, Benjamin's uh, documentary, uh, which we were so fortunate to be part of, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to call and uh, try to get your journey from Hoboken to Nickel State as the next documentary because <laughs> that, that is phenomenal. I mean, David, your, your path – uh, to where you are today, and it's just the start. Uh, you know, it's going to be a long journey. Uh, is fascinating, and and anyone that's there that wants to try to duplicate what you've done. I mean, think about some of the things that David had to do. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, but I I enjoy our conversations every single day. I wish we could tape those because that would really be entertaining. But, <laughs> that may be on uh, but this is fabulous, <laughs> and uh, you are a special, special coach. David Patrick, thank you so much for sharing. Coach, sir, thank you as always, man. You, you, you're not only a great coach, but a, but a great mentor and friend, and I can't thank you enough for having me on your, on your show. As we say at my favorite restaurant, Chick-fil-A, my pleasure. 